I'm glad that you're here this morning with us as we desire very much to to continue our time of worship in the Word. I'd like you to open your Bibles to John chapter 8, if you would, and I'll start by saying, He is risen, and I can hear you say, He is risen indeed. It's been a great week, Friday, of course, and then meeting together this morning, and the focus on the cross and the resurrection is a needed balm for our souls, isn't it? I know that Friday and today were not the first times that you remembered all that has happened, and, and your hearts were lifted like mine was, almost like the men on the road to Emmaus from Luke 24. Do you remember them? One of my favorite stories in all of the Word of God, when they walked with Jesus. When we walk with Jesus, things are better. And uh, not to spiritualize it, but isn't that always how it is? That when we walk with Jesus, things are better. And when you uh, walk with Jesus in his word, your heart is lifted, and, and we can uh, very much hear Jesus say from John 14:1, do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. Can you hear that? In the middle of our difficult times, we know for sure a few things that are going on in our world. Uh, and those things are that the Lord has allowed this time to happen, and that he is over all of it. And then ultimately, it's for his glory. And as you read the Word of God, there is no way that you can come away in all of the different circumstances and all the things that have happened throughout the Old and New Testament. There's no way that you can come away, I think, as you understand the Word of God and as you understand God's purposes for the world with any other understanding besides that. And so let that encourage you. Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in you, as Jesus said. And we hear him say from John 11, 25 and 26, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies, and everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. And then this question, do you believe this? When things seem to be good and when things are, are smooth and things are going as you perhaps hoped that they would go, there's the illusion that uh, we have lots of days after this, and there's the illusion that our, our future is in control. But those are all illusions. We never have been in control of the day of our death, nor have we been in control of our future. And so we then fall back on the one sure foundation, which is Jesus is the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, Jesus said, will live even if he dies, and everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. So today as we come to this Resurrection Sunday, we are going to set aside our, our study. We're going to move into chapter 8 of Second Corinthians next time, Lord willing, to study uh, something different on this Resurrection Day, not the typical passage you would find on a Resurrection Sunday, but perhaps one of the most, as you think about this passage, I want you to think about probably one of the most consistent ways that you can reveal a person's character and life priorities is to read through an interview. I know I like to, I enjoy reading through some from history. I, I enjoy listening to interviews because it really reveals uh, where that person is. If you listen, listen to Bill Gates, you would know that he desires to control the entire world with all that he has planned for them. Uh, if it were up to him, of course, everything would be in line and everybody would be registered and he would know everything about everybody. And so, it, I mean, it doesn't take long when you listen to him, you know exactly where he wants to go and what he thinks is important. But um, there are uh, much better ones to listen to. And it seems that no matter what question is asked, the person being interviewed will include uh, things that are important to them, woven into the answers. Uh, you probably noticed that, that uh, that's the case. Abraham Lincoln was just such a person. Uh, his candor and his character 
really shown through his interviews, much like sunshine through a window. And I was reading through some of uh, his comments over the course of his life and, and his quotes, and you can see some things that are very consistent as he speaks and where people would interview him. There are many hundred that are worth repeating. I'll just do a few right now for time. His focus always on character, on square dealing, it really came out continuously. One of the things that he said as he was talking about, was talking with uh, someone, he said, character is like a tree and reputation like the shadow. The shadow is what we think of it. The tree is the real thing. He also said the philosophy of, of the schoolroom in one generation will be the philosophy of the government in the next, and we've certainly shown that to be true. He said in another interview, he said, let not him who is houseless pull down the house of another, but let him work diligently and build one for himself, thus by example assuring that his own shall be safe from violence when built. I think the Democratic Party could probably listen to that and maybe learn something from that. Uh, those that are always interested in, in transferring wealth around to other people. The last one he said, he says, uh, that's what I'm going uh, to say to you. He says, I'm rather inclined to silence, and whether that be wise or not, it is at least more unusual nowadays to find a man who can hold his tongue than to find one who cannot. And of course, I think, again, we're moving right into the present day, and we find some important uh, principles there that could be applied. But when we speak of interviews that, that uh, where much, what's most important comes out, uh, we have a really wonderful example. I'd like you to turn in your copy of God's Word to John 8. Uh, we're going to pick up in verse 21. We're going to read through verse 30. It's a passage we looked at many, many, many years ago, and I took a fresh look at it today. And it, it is my desire as we come uh, around this time where perhaps more are interested in spiritual things, even even without the difficulty in our, in our nation right now and around the world, I think people are more inclined to think about spiritual things on this day uh, than other days, and even more so, uh, with the things that are going on. So I think it was important to, to revisit some things. And so verse 21, you can read with me if you would in your copy of God's Word. I'm going to read straight through to verse 30. Then he said again to them, Jesus is speaking, he says, I go away and you will seek me and will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. Verse 22, so the Jews were saying, surely he will not kill himself. Will he? Since he says, where I'm going, you cannot come. Verse 23, and he was saying to them, you are from below, I am from above. You are of the, this world, I am not of this world. Verse 24, therefore I said to you that you will die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Verse 26, so they were saying, who are you? Jesus said to them, what have I been saying to you from the beginning? I have many things to speak and to judge concerning you, but he who sent me is true, and the things which I heard from him, these things I speak to the world. Verse 27, they did not realize that he'd been speaking to them about the Father. Verse 28, so Jesus said, when you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and I do nothing on my own initiative, but I speak these things as the Father taught me. Verse 29, and he who sent me is with me, he has not left me alone. For I always do the things that are pleasing to him. Verse 30, as he spoke these things, many came to believe in him. Now, as you read that, that's an interesting interchange between Jesus and the spiritual leaders of the time. And three times in ten verses, what statement does he say? You will die in your sins. Really, 
begins back in verse 1 when Jesus is interviewed about what he thinks about the sentence of death on a woman caught in adultery. And he begins to, of course, he speaks to her privately and, and, and then he asks, if you don't have any sin, then you can cast the first stone and people kind of drift away. And, and then it continues and they berate him and they begin to ask some impertinent questions. And, and he brings the conversation around to the most important things because it's easy for the gospel to get missed. Uh, it's easy for, for people somehow to miss who he really was and the purpose for his life. And they were really focusing on the things they didn't like about him as he uh, was going through his ministry. And, and this, is, this is the same group that we looked at on Friday, the very first group we looked at that, that had turned into a rebellious unbelief. And, and this is uh, the leaders here that we're speaking of. So Jesus' whole life had been spent making the gospel clear. And, uh, but how did the message of the simple gospel get missed? How did this group end up where they were on Friday when they're watching Jesus be murdered and they're saying the things that they would say? And, and this simple gospel message, really represented by the cross, uh, there's, a, there's a problem with all people, and, and the cross cries out that message, and God paid that ultimate price to reach them. It, it is really the foundation on which we teach every other thing. Now, in the church, we use Hebrews chapter 6, verses 1 through 3 as a model for our teaching, which simply says this, Therefore, leaving the elementary teaching about Christ, let us press on to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God, of instructions about washings and laying on of hands and the resurrection of the dead and, the, and eternal judgment. And this we shall do if God permits. There's a lot we could say about that passage. We won't do it today. The meaning is really straightforward and plain. The basic teaching about the simple gospel is the place where we start, not the place where we dwell. And in maturity is the focus and the goal, if you will. And as the Lord allows us, that's what we'll do. And Jesus' focus on, on uh, maturity of his disciples was his goal as he walked through his three years of ministry. He, he spent a lot of time teaching them how to live in the world and what to do as a believer and how to handle money and all those kinds of things. And, and the Pharisees were in conflict with a lot of that as he said that, you know, uh, Man was not made for the Sabbath, but the Sabbath was made for man and all of that. And just kind of an, it blew up their whole system where they understood uh, what they thought they understood about being holy and, be, and being right before God. And, and so Jesus, as he teaches his disciples, he's moving beyond uh, that point. But even with that model, there's always the concern, though, that some might have missed the message. And Jesus would return to it from time to time and remember and say, remember, the Son of Man is going to, to, be, to be killed and he's going to rise again. And it was difficult for them to understand all of that, but he kept saying it. And, uh, and that's the starting point, uh, but many have missed it. Maybe they've attended church for a long time, and, or maybe in the mind of some, perhaps there's an idea that everything is okay between them and God, and there's some preconceived idea, perhaps because of their family or whatever, uh, that they're going to be fine, and that has blocked the understanding of the message. But whatever the situation may be, because of the times and because of this day, I think it was important to make sure we, we reset and then this goes out, and many will see this that aren't part of our flock, and I hope that it's, it's, uh, it's encouraging to them and, and really gives some perspective on how we would really should approach this man, Jesus. And so it appears this is what Jesus is doing as he turns this interview back around. They're criticizing a lot of his life and, and, the, and his teaching and the things that he's doing and, and all of that. And so he turns this back around, and this is where we find ourselves as we get to John 8 today, particularly in verse 21 and following. And it's perhaps not the most common of resurrection messages, but in referring to his crucifixion, which he does, and the obvious nature of the resurrection, he really makes a very tragic statement that some, even though the events of his life have really pointed to this and are well-known and well-documented, are going to miss salvation. And although 
the context here are those who are religious. The attitudes that prevail uh, that cause some to miss this offer can be universal. So we're going to look at them just briefly this morning. And for our time today, we're going to pick up in verse 21 where Jesus, he says these tragic words one of three times. He says, verse 21, look back there if you would. Then he said to them again, I go away and you'll seek me and you'll die in your sin where I'm going, you cannot come. And then verse 24, of course, he says, therefore I said to you, so he's going to explain why he said what he said. And he says, therefore I said to you, you're going to die in your sin for unless you believe that I am he, you'll die in your sin. So three times Jesus makes this heartbreaking condemnation, you're going to die in your sin. You shall die in your sins, once in the singular, twice in the plural. So you've all heard the expression, of course, uh, he has nobody to blame but himself. It's one that you've probably used, I certainly have used it, and while the axiom is true in many ways in the natural world, it is also very much true in the supernatural and the spiritual dimension as well. When someone dies in their sin, uh, they have no one to blame but themselves. If a person dies in sin to perish in eternity, of punishment. There's no one to blame but themselves. Because back in the first chapter of this really marvelous gospel that we're looking at, uh, as we're being introduced to its truth, the Holy Spirit recorded for us uh, these words about Christ. It says, there was the true light which is coming into the world and lightens every man. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. John 1, 9. And you remember this. So it fascinates me that the Holy Spirit has said that the true light, namely Christ, coming into the world enlightens every man. And there is a sense then, as we think about this, uh, that in which every person who's ever lived on the face of the earth is responsible for some degree of the light. In Romans chapter 1, we're told that the creation reveals certain things about God. Conscience reveals certain things about God. In Romans chapter 2, Paul says conscience actually excuses and accuses uh, even the pagans. And, and all of these scriptures remind us that that. Man has been given sufficient light which, if lived up to, will lead to further light and even the light of the knowledge of Christ. And so the tragedy is that man does not live up to that light. Man willfully refuses the light. And John 3 tells us man loves darkness rather than what? Light because his deeds are evil. And, and as wonderful as it is for us to experience the love of Christ and the peace of Christ and the joy of salvation and to know the hope of eternal life and all of that, it is equally tragic that there are many who flatly, blatantly, overtly reject it. They refuse the light, choosing the darkness because they love their sin. And, and the amazing uh, part of the passage we just noted, however, is that Jesus wasn't speaking out to out and out wicked people. He wasn't speaking necessarily to the general society. He's speaking to religious leaders. He's speaking to the experts of the Old Testament. He was dealing with the most religious people of all that they were going to die in their sin and never be able to come where he was going. And we saw that on Friday, didn't we? Uh, those religious leaders standing there at the foot of the cross and hurling insult at him and mocking him and with a total disregard of what's going on and missing completely the disconnect of all disconnects, doing the worst thing possible that's ever been done to anyone at any time, and then to just turn away uh, with the nonchalance as if it doesn't matter. So how does that happen? How do, how do we get to that point, see? How is it possible that people die uh, in their sins unforgiven? Unjustified, unconverted, unregenerate, unredeemed, bound for everlasting hell. Well, I think that there are a number of points here we can look at that can help us and illustrate that for us, and perhaps it'll be uh, good for you in worship if you find yourself and you know Christ is your Savior, you've been redeemed, you've been regenerated, you've repented and come to faith. 
and this will be a joy to know that you've been delivered from these things. But if you're here and you, you're listening to this message and you don't understand some of those things, or perhaps you fall into that category of a mocker or you're just uh, disdainful or you're not sure or whatever, perhaps this would be helpful. You can kind of analyze Jesus' comments because if anything, uh, these are the reasons why Jesus came and lived on the earth and died and rose. And so in, in all of his teaching and all of his moral life and how he helps people understand how to live and all of that stuff, this is the main thing. And the first one is this. You want to miss... Salvation, die in your sin, as he said three times in this group, be self-righteous. Be, be self-righteous. The first step to dying in your sin is to be completely content with the condition that you're in. In other words, you feel you have no need of a Savior, you have no severe sin problem, and if you've witnessed to anyone for any length of time as a believer, you know that this is very common. People say, well, I'm not that bad of a person. Uh, people will believe you're a good person. You know, you may think you're a good person. You may believe you're a moral person, you're better than average, you're a good neighbor, you help people, whatever it is, however you evaluate yourself in comparison to other people. So certainly when, when God scores the little, the little sheet that he keeps, uh, you're going to have more good points than bad points. You're, uh, you, know, you imagine that you have nothing to repent of. If you imagine that, beloved, you're going to die in your sin. In, in verse 21, Jesus said this. He said to them again, I go away and you'll seek me and you'll die in your sin where I'm going. You cannot come. He said they were going to be separated. We were going to go in different places. They are going to seek a Messiah of their own imagination. That's really what he says. You're going to seek me. You're going to seek this Messiah of your own imagination. They've rejected the true Messiah. Jesus says you imagine you're going to be in paradise, but you won't be. And he said in numerous times, there's no way unto God except through me. And a part of that being content when you're Imagining a Jesus that's different perhaps from the one that said you have to give up your life to find it. You have to lose your life to save it. You know, there's a lot of people out there who are going to die and in their sin and they're going to be separated from God forever. And they just imagine a Jesus that isn't the Jesus that we see in the Bible. They imagine just this kind Jesus and everything's going to be fine and whatever. And, and uh, they don't think about the Jesus that said you're going to have to give up your life to find it and lose your life to save it. See? So you're going to seek a Messiah, but that's not the Messiah that actually is portrayed in, in the Scriptures. You're going to think seek one in your own imagination. And that's what the Jews are doing. And, you know, what's in the secret? He verified who he was with the things that he did. In John 14, 11, remember he said, believe, in, believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Otherwise, believe because of the works themselves. In other words, you know, if you don't believe what I'm saying, look around and see what I'm doing. See? You reject me and you'll never see God. John 7, 36, he says, you'll seek me and you'll not find me where I'm going. You cannot come. This is just an unimaginable destiny of an unforgiven sinner. See, Jesus is, is talking to people who thought they knew God and they were so self-righteous and so content with, with where they were. Listen to how they answer Jesus. Look at verse 22. Therefore, the Jews, by the way, that term is used by John generally that means the leaders, and, and the Pharisees and the scribes, and in this case, it does. The Jewish, Jewish leaders were saying, listen to this, surely he will not kill himself, will he, since he says where I'm going, you cannot come. And every time I read that, it's just such a strange answer. But their intent is really clear. With the response, uh, they knew that he was talking about death. And so uh, with these self-righteous, very content Jews are saying, oh, so you're going to die by your own hand, which means that's going to send you to hell. So we won't see you then because we're going to paradise. That's really the sum of what he's saying. We're going to go to heaven so smug, so self-confident, so self-assured of their own worthiness. So you find many in the world like that, so self-confident, so self-assured, 
your own worthiness, your own goodness, all of that kind of thing. You think you're going to be fine. Uh, you don't need Jesus. You don't need to repent. You don't need to, to turn, right? You're, you're a good person. That is the astonishing self-evaluation of people who are confident in their own goodness. Moral to some degree. And when you point out the fallacy of that self-deception as you present the gospel, which undoubtedly, if you've presented the gospel, you've experienced this, you become the target of ridicule. Which shouldn't surprise us because that's how our master was treated. And you'll be defriended and you'll be blocked and all that kind of stuff. People don't want to feel guilt. They don't want to, they don't think they have any guilt and all of that kind of thing. See, this is very common. And here's the deal. You want to guarantee that you're going to die in your sin, then believe you don't have a sin problem. And you're on your way. That you're moral and you're good and you don't need to repent and you'll miss the gospel and you'll die in your sin. In the middle of this interview, Jesus turns it back to the most important thing. Count on the creed of human achievement. Count on your good works and your good deeds. Imagine a Jesus that doesn't exist, see, that doesn't require holiness and obedience, and you'll die in your sin. Now look at verse 23. And he was saying, you are from below, and I'm from above. You're of this world, and I'm not of this world. And what he's saying here is this, you know, wait a minute. I, I think that you have the directions mixed up. I'm a citizen that belongs to the above kingdom. You're a citizen who belongs to the below kingdom. And the implication here is that you don't have to wait to be a citizen of the below kingdom. You're already a citizen of the below kingdom. See, verse 44, he says, you're of your father, the devil. So he's just, he's not mincing any words. In other words, you're already part of the kingdom of darkness, which is in its final form will be eternal hell. You've already have your place there. And that is the reality, beloved, of every unredeemed person. The unbelief, the rebellious willfulness, the self-centeredness, the self-confidence that really shows they're part of the kingdom of darkness. There is a, a serious lack of awareness, and they may think that they're perfectly fine. And you find that often in our culture, that you talk to people and they believe they're perfectly fine. And everything's perfectly good. See. And we saw in Second Corinthians, there's a veil of unbelief over them blinding them to the truth, but by the way they respond to the gospel to Jesus, you would think that they're the only ones who can see. Oh, well, that's just, he's just a fraud, or he's just, you know, he was just a good teacher. I mean, I'm a good person. I'll be fine, see? But the reality is that, that every human ever born is, Ephesians 2 says, of the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now works in the children of disobedience. In other words, every person who's ever born is under the lower kingdom, the one controlled by Satan. 1 John 5.19, the whole world, John says, lies in the lap of the wicked one. The whole world. To be born places you in that kingdom. See? So if you want to die in your sin, just imagine that you're okay and you don't need a savior and you're on your way. Secondly, how to die in your sin. Secondly, love the world. If you want to know a trademark that means you're on your way to uh, this uh, place separated from God forever in hell for torment, you just imagine uh, that you're okay, you don't need a redeemer, and just love the world. Verse 23 says, you are of the world, I'm not of the world. And that's another guarantee that a person will die in their sin. Simply be part of this cosmos, that's that word, cosmos. And we've studied that word many times before. Cosmos refers to the invisible spiritual system of evil that fights the kingdom of God. The invisible spiritual system of evil. That's what God, that Christ is talking about here. In the case of the world and the deceitfulness of riches referred to in Matthew 13, 22, which chokes out the seed. Same thing. The deceitfulness, uh, the cares of the world. 
You love the world. You're, you're, in, you're enamored with the things of the world. But we use that term that way all the time. We say, we talk about the system, uh, with the term world. We, you know, we talk about the world of politics. We talk about the world of education, the world of sports, or the system of sports or whatever. And, and what that means is that system that marks those individual things, see. And, and he said to them, you're of this system. In fact, Luke 16.8 says this, you are children of the system, children of, of the cosmos as you are children of the devil. The world system is opposed to the truth. It's opposed to righteousness. It's opposed to holiness. It's opposed to purity. In fact, Jesus gave himself, uh, Galatians 1.4 says, for our sins that he might deliver us from this present system of evil. That's the exact idea. The system is hostile to godliness. It's hostile to virtue. I mean, if you look at the system by materialism and humanism and sex and, and, and ambition and pride and greed and self-pleasure and self-desire, you know, it exists. Its opinions are wrong. Its aims are wrong. Its pleasures are sinful. You know, it, its influences are demoralizing. The politics are corrupt. It, 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 its honors are empty. See. The world will self-destruct. It's a passing world. Remember the, the words of, uh, of John, First John 2, uh, 15, he says, Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, this system, see, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. The world is passing away, and also its lust, but the one who does the will of God lives forever. You can't have both. Yes, you have to live here. Yes, you have to provide for the needs of your family. In fact, if you don't do that, Scripture is very clear. You don't provide for the needs of your family. You're worse than an unbeliever. We understand that. We have to live here. We have to, we have to make a living and, and provide those things. But the kingdom of God is over all of that, right? That's whole Matthew 6 emphasis. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. It, it's really a matter of priority. What is the main thing that you're in love with? It's the world system. See. You can't have both of these things. You can't have the love of the world and the love of Christ. The sinful, selfish, earthbound people who live in the system, controlled by the prince of this world, the prince of the system, are separated from Jesus Christ by a huge gap. The love of the system, the love of the world, the love of the world's things, see, is here. The love of Christ and his things is here. and They don't join each other. It's one or the other. And Jesus is very clear as he, as he directs this interview back around to the most important things. You love the world system. It's hard to know that. You know, Jesus as, as Messiah could see into the hearts of men and he knew where their love was. If you remember many times in the scripture, he talked to the rich young ruler and he said, I've given up all these things. He said, give up everything that you have, all your, all your material things and follow me. And he went away very sad, remember, because he was very rich. Jesus understood where the love really was. And he understood it here. We don't always know that when we talk to people. So we just say, listen, if you love the world and the things that are in the world, you're enraptured by the world system. You're, that's your motivation to live and to accumulate and whatever. Uh, the lust of the flesh, you know, these things that characterize it, uh, its passions and all of that, the, the lust of the eyes, it's, it's, it's covetousness, it's desire. As you look at it, you want more. And the pride of life and boastful arrogance and wanting to rise up, you know, rise up the ladder of success because that's where uh, living comes from, see, and that's where the satisfaction of life is found if those are your motivations, see, 
That's the system. And if you love that system, the love of the Father is not in you. And you've missed the gospel. And you're lost. For a man to die in his sins, he needs only to be self-righteous, be very content where you are, don't think you need a Savior, and be worldly. Just love the world. Thirdly, and here's the main issue. All these other things are really symptoms, I think, if you will. But in some respects, this is the issue. Be unbelieving. Be unbelieving. Verse 24 says, Therefore I said to you that you'll die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am He, you will die in your sins. And Jesus focuses His life on this over and over again. He comes back, talks about belief all the time. See, you don't, if you don't put your faith in who I am, which embodies all of my person and work, you're going to die in your sin. That's the issue. That's, that's the way, the way of escape is open. The way of salvation is open. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be what? Saved. That's what uh, Paul told the Philippian jailer in Acts 16. In Romans chapter 10 verse 8, this is the way of salvation is open and it's close by. What does it say? The word is near you. It's in your mouth, in your heart. That is the word of faith which we are preaching. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be what? Saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For, for the same is the Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call on him. For whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him whom they've not believed? How will they believe in him whom they've not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher. It's available, see. Salvation is offered. Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures and that He was buried and that He was raised again on the third day according to the Scriptures. So remember that? 1 Corinthians 15. Paul said, I delivered to you of first importance. This was it. Did Paul talk about a lot of other things? Sure. And we've spent a lot of time evaluating how to live and what it looks like to be righteous and how those actions work their way out in society and in the church. But the main thing was what? Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures and that He was buried and that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. The Gospel was the main thing. And you have to believe. But the one who persists in unbelief, who will not believe that Jesus is God, who will not believe that He is God in human flesh, come as Redeemer to pay the price of sin, that He rose from the dead and has power to make us right with God, that He's sovereign Lord of all, the one who will not believe that, who will not embrace in faith, all that he is and all that he has done will die in their sins. If you don't catch anything else, understand this so clearly. And when he said, if you will not believe that I am he, he's really summing up all the fullness that he is. It's not self-defined. You don't get to define this Jesus that's comfortable for you. See, And to believe that Jesus is, you know, is, is the great I am is to believe that he is all that he's claimed to be. I am, he said, the bread of life. I am the living water. I am the light of the world. I am the good shepherd. I am the vine. I am the resurrection and the life. And on and on, see? And, and if you believe that he is all that he claimed to be and you place your faith in him, you will escape death in its eternal consequence. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that what? Whoever believes in him shall not perish and have eternal life. If you do not believe, what will you do in the backside of that? You will perish. And we understand perish to mean an eternal separation from God forever in hell. If you don't believe, you will die in your sin. That's what Jesus is saying. And beloved, believing has fruit. 
John chapter 3, verse 36. He who believes in the Son has what? Eternal life. Now listen. But he who doesn't obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides in him. Just don't believe and you'll be in wrath forever. To die in your sins, all you have to do is be self-righteous. Don't think sin's a big problem. Believe you're already good enough. Be worldly. You know, get yourself totally engulfed by the system. Be driven by the lust of the flesh and lust of the eyes, the pride of life. Serve the Father. You know, serve your father, Satan. And then just refuse to believe that Christ is all that he said he was and you'll die in your sin. In John 3, 36, you know, that has fruit. You believe and what? You obey. And here they're used interchangeably to indicate that salvation has come. It's not a self-defined Jesus. You kind of do what you want and you just, oh, you know, and, and, I, and I believe in Jesus. Well, Lose your life to find it. Fourthly and lastly, just be willfully ignorant. Be willfully ignorant. And let me get this last one from their comment in verse 25. It's just so, it's so astounding that they say this after all that they've seen. So they were saying to him, who are you? And people still ask this, don't they? I mean, who was Jesus really? And considering the impact of his life that he had on the world and, and through his followers, his actual followers, how the world has been changed, I'm not talking about the Catholic Church, I'm talking about actual followers, to ask who he is in light of all of that is really, is really hollow and very evasive. But people will say it. And when you think about these guys and you realize the ministry that Jesus had right in front of them, the works that he did that we mentioned before, healing people and bringing people back from the dead, creating food to feed the mouths, as it were, of multitudes of people walking on water. You know, his other miracles, all, they all verified who he was. They, they had seen this, many of them, firsthand. They'd watched all these things happen. They had heard his powerful words, words that had never been spoken by any man. He healed on the Sabbath, and instead of rejoicing that he healed someone, they were mad that he, they thought that he'd broken the Sabbath. So just wrong-headed, wrong direction, see, willfully ignorant of the truth. And Jesus responds by saying in verse 25, he says, so they were saying to him, who are you? Jesus said to them, what have I been saying to you from the beginning? It's just willful ignorance. See. He worked the interview around to the main thing. They want to argue and discredit him. They want to talk about the patterns of his life that that annoy them so much, and he brings it back around. It should have been patently obvious who he was. Early on, he said, the temple was his father's house. He said in John 2, 19, you destroyed me in three days, I'll rise again. John 3, he said to Nicodemus that he was the son of God. He said in John 4, to the woman that was at the well that he was the promised one, the Savior. It was clear the message had been given. He'd said it over and over again. The amazing words of Jesus in John 5, 21, for just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so even so the Son also gives life to, to whom he wishes. For not even the Father judges anyone, but he has given all judgment to the Son so that all will honor the Son even as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but passes out of death into life. He said that all judgment had been given uh, from the Father to him, that he would literally raise the dead, just and unjust, to the resurrection of life and the resurrection of damnation. He literally said that's exactly what's going to happen. It was obvious who he was. 
He had said, I'm the light of the world. You follow me. You'll never walk in darkness. He said, I'm the water of life. You drink of me and you'll never thirst again. He said, I'm the bread. You eat of me and you'll never hunger. He said it all and he verified it all with a powerful display of miracles. And then they stand there and they say, who, who are you? He says, what have I been saying to you from the beginning? This is not a secret. You know, and if you think about that, you know, and as you think about that, if he thought he was the Messiah and he wasn't, he's just a lunatic. And if he said he was the Messiah and knew he wasn't, then he's a liar. But if he said he was the Messiah and then he went to the grave and rose again, you verify, beloved, everything that he said, and you best believe. Verse 26, he says, What have I been saying to you from the beginning? I have many things to speak and to judge concerning you, but he who sent me is true, and the things which I heard from him, these things I speak to the world. So he's saying to them, Hey, you know, I've said a lot to you. And you ought to know who I am. And, and now since you've come to the point where you don't know who I am, I have something more to say to you. But the rest of the things I have to say to you are going to concern judgment. What a huge warning. What a big red flag should be waving in front of your eyes. If you really don't know who he is after all of this, then the next things he's going to have to say have to concern judgment. And he's moved the interview to the place where he really wants it to be. And verse 27 says, they didn't realize he was talking about the Father. And so you move fairly rapidly from chapter 8, verse 12, where he says, you know, I'm the light of the world. He that follows me will not walk in darkness. That's an invitation. Come and follow. Come and follow. And now he moves to condemnation. Verse 28, he says, to their ignorance. So Jesus said, when you lift up the Son of Man. So here we get right into the, into the heart of this whole weekend. When you lift up the Son of Man, you will know that I am He, and I do nothing on my own initiative, but I speak these things as the Father taught me. So you have in mind here. Crucifixion. When I'm crucified, you'll know that I am He. And we saw that on Friday. Many realized who He was on the day that He died. We actually looked at some of those. You'll know that I'm the promised one. You, you'll know that I came from God. You'll know that God sent me and speaks through me. You'll know, you'll know that when I'm lifted up. I mean, who knew that? The, the repentant thief? The centurion and the soldiers around the cross? Many of the people who had laid their clothes down and palm branches on the ground as he came in on Palm Sunday, who then hurled insults at him on the road to Calvary, who perhaps said, his blood be on us and on our children. But when they watched him be lifted up and they heard what he said and they understood what had been done and God showed up there from 12 to 3 and, and the darkness and, and the thunder and the earthquake and the ripping of the, of the Holy of Holies curtain and all of that, they knew. You'll know that I'm the promised one. You'll know that I came from God. You'll know that God sent me and speaks through me. You'll know that when I'm lifted up. And we saw how they knew it. The veil was split in two and 
and access to God was thrown open, and when he rose, graves burst open, and dead people came out alive and walked around, it said, in Jerusalem. And the tomb was empty, and they knew it, and everyone else did too. The same guys bribed and threatened everyone involved to keep that whole fact quiet. And later, it was just getting worse for them. The church was born, and and the apostles went out in miraculous power, preaching and healing and, and casting out demons, and, and the church was growing and exploding, and they filled Jerusalem with their doctrine, and they, and they turned the world upside down. You say, you don't know who I am? You want to continue in willful ignorance? He says, lift me up and you'll know. You'll know that I am he, and I speak for God. And the cross will be the point at which History will be so dramatically altered, you'll have to know. If you're not blind by your own desire, you'll know. And then Jesus adds again this most essential aspect of his claim, his relation to God. In verse 29 he says, And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. He just lets them know and to realize again that he's not operating independently because he is equal with God. So I want you to think about a few things. You want to die in your sin? Just be content where you are. Don't think you're any big sinner. Don't think you need repentance. Don't think you, uh, you, you need any kind of righteousness from anyone, that you're just fine, and that little book God keeps will show that you've done a lot of good deeds and you'll die in your sin. If you want to die in your sin, love the world. Be enamored by the world system and everything that it offers and, and pursue all of those things. And those are the most important things. And you can find this out when those are the things you think about privately. What's the most important thing in your life? If it's the world systems, less of the eyes, less of the mind, boastful pride of life, you will die in your sin. If that's your, your number one driving force, you're on your way to hell. Be unbelieving. Refuse to believe that Jesus is who he said he is and it's not all he came and said he came to do. Refuse to believe that he died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and raised on the third day according to the scriptures, or you will die in your sin. Just be willfully ignorant. You're not really sure who Jesus is. In light of everything that he said, in light of everything that he's done, even after you, even after you know the, what he's done on the cross, even after you knew that, and you know that the tomb is empty, just be willing to be any of those things, and you're on your way to hell. You're going to die in your sin. And beloved, can I tell you this? You may not realize that, that you're on your way to hell because those things by themselves seem very satisfactory. And the reason for the message is to make you uncomfortable. If you're trusting in these things, your own self-righteousness, the world and everything that it, it offers, or you just you flat out refuse to believe you think Christianity is a crutch for those who are weak-minded and you're not going to believe in Jesus. Be willfully ignorant. In fact, after I got done speaking to you and you're just like, I, who are you? You are on your way to die in your sin. And these folks who are here, these ones Jesus is focusing on, you know, they... After the cross, they knew they knew the church was born. They they knew the phenomenon of the coming of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. They knew Peter was healing everyone in his own shadow. They knew the lame man in the temple could walk. They knew, but, but sin loves darkness rather than light because its deeds are evil. Please don't be there. Please don't be there. 
Don't love darkness rather than light because your deeds are evil. Understand that is the case. You're responsible for the light that lights every man. This is it. And there's another alternative, though. And Jesus ends this little section. Rather than dying in your sin. Look at verse 30. Thank the Lord for this end of this passage. It says, As he spoke these things, many came to believe in him. What a great way to end that. Some may have come into this conversation being very self-righteous. Some may have come into this conversation enamored by the world system. They may have come in here being unbelieving. I just don't believe you are who you say you are. They may have come in being willfully ignorant, having seen the things and just refused to, to repent. But it said, after he finished talking, many came to believe in him. And that's wonderful news, isn't it? What about you? What about you? People who believed, they didn't die in their sin. They went where Jesus is. Reserved heaven, reserved for those who love God. Those who have come through repentance and faith to save and knowledge of Jesus. They didn't die in their sin. They died with their sins completely paid for. Those are the only people who get to go where Jesus is. As a concern, you may have missed the message. Maybe you've attended here for a long time and you've missed it. I pray that the Holy Spirit is at work in your own heart right now, showing you the error and revealing the truth because the way of salvation is open. Confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead and you'll be saved. I'd like you to bow with me in prayer as we're going to close out our time together. It's be a time where you can really listen to the Holy Spirit as He may be drawing you, as He may be encouraging you to praise the Lord for your understanding of these things, because only those that the Father draws come. And so if you've been drawn and you're redeemed, then you can rejoice that you've escaped those things. And as we looked at in 2 Corinthians 7, you can have a holy anger at how you were deceived before, how you were so arrogant before, but now you've been delivered. Let's pray. Father, we celebrate this Resurrection Day. We're so grateful for it. We're so grateful for the time we can come together as a church and worship you. Our hearts are really filled with joy. And yet, maybe a desperate need for confession. Perhaps if there are some listening today, watching this morning, and I'm sure that there are who are going to die in their sin, who are holding on to their own achievements, their own righteousness, their own contentment, holding on to the world, who've refused to abandon themselves to faith and, and full belief in Jesus, who or perhaps are willfully ignorant. They've seen all the, all the power, but the love of the world has, has drawn them away. Oh God, may they be at this point, turning from that even now and reaching out and embracing the Savior that you sent and believe right now like those did in the day when Jesus spoke. Father, may they be, by believing, be cleansed and fit to partake of eternal life, and that's exactly what you promised. And if you're out there and you're listening today, you're watching, let me lead you in a prayer. Just pray with me. 
Oh Jesus, I sin. I see my sin. And I ask you that you forgive me. I am sorry for it. I'm sorry for doing my own thing, for going my own way, for my rebelliousness and for my pride, for thinking that I was good enough. When the cross and the death and the resurrection cry out so loudly that I wasn't. And I know that the guilt of my sin is on me. And I don't have any excuse and I can't blame anybody else. It's on me and I'm worthy of your wrath. And I'm worthy to have to bear the punishment for my sin. But today I believe that Jesus bore all of this sin on the cross and took my place and my punishment. Please forgive me of that sin and save me from your wrath through Jesus' death and his resurrection. I've missed it up till now, but no more. And if you prayed that prayer today, the angels, it says, in heaven are rejoicing that you've come to the knowledge of the truth. And it'd be our joy to help you learn how to walk the way Jesus would have you walk. We're supposed to take the gospel out and then teach those we take the gospel to to obey everything Jesus commanded. And we'd love to do that and contact us a number of different ways. Use one of those formats and get in touch with us. Tell us you prayed and received Christ as your Savior. Get our joy to help you grow. And for those who know you, Father, we're so grateful for the knowledge of the truth which has led to these things. Keep us far from uh, the love of the world and, and our own self-righteousness and prideful attitudes that help us to be our minds like that of Christ Jesus. Who didn't think it was robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation in the form of a servant, beat it to death, even death on the cross. Because we know that you've conquered death, Lord, through Jesus. And we're okay with whatever you require from us. Because the greatest joy of all will be to find our home forever with you. And this vapor of life, this temporary time on earth passes, we rejoice that we'll be with you forever. You're going to create a new earth and you create all these things for our joy. And we look forward to that. So on this Resurrection Day, Father, as we join our hearts together as a church, we give you praise. We worship you. We thank you. And we thank you most of all for Jesus, who gave himself up for us. We long to see him and help us to be found faithful until he comes. We pray this in his name and all God's people said, Amen.